I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad and the downright painful, as we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition. Through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your heart as we go through this journey together. Hello, hello, my beautiful soulies, and welcome to another episode of Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Today's episode is so refreshing. It's so relatable. I'm so happy to have you here listening. It's called Why Thinking It Through Isn't Always the Answer. It's a slogan that we've been taught through many generations over and over again. Just think on it. Just think on it. Just sleep on it. All of those sorts of things. But we know now with the way we're moving forward with dealing with our emotions and feeling comfortable in them, no matter how big or loud or scary, that feeling it through is going to be the new norm. So I would like to welcome Emily East. Emily is a local yoga teacher here in Bendigo, an Arbonne wellness consultant, and now the author of her book, Like a Mother. Like a Mother is a book about the inward journey women make when she enters motherhood, navigating the shifts in her identity, her relationships, and all the new emotions that come. So Emily, it is a delight to have you here, and thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's just thrilling that two women who are going through different stages of their parenting can still have a chat and go, oh my God, I remember that. Oh my God, have I got that coming? So (laughs) yes, you are a busy woman and it's so fascinating that we get to have this chat when you're 30 weeks pregnant and it's in the lion's gate of the spiritual world. So (laughs) I'm sure there's lots going on for you at the moment. (laughs) So today we're going to talk, folks, about a series of topics But just going on from Em's book about the experience of parenting and all the new emotions that it brings up for you, the biggest thing I find with my conversations with Emily and why I really wanted her to share her wisdom with us is because Emily is from an intellect background, very smart, smart woman who has done a lot of success in her young mid-30s. And today we want to talk about how Emily realized that once she was living her life in her head and in her intellect, and how that can lead to some separation of the body and the soul and the brain. And so again, as nature intends, sometimes we're forced to reassess how we've always done something to find a new way forward. So Emily, can you share with us, tell us how you came to make some changes that really positively have impacted your life and the relationships that you're in? Yes, thank you. So to give a little bit of a context, I started my professional career all with like biology and psychology and positive psychology. And I entered the workplace as a well-being mentor for year nines. And during that time, it was very much mindset. It was very much intellect. And it was all about 
like what I knew about the brain and how we could train the brain. And if anything negative or uncomfortable came up, then you could just use your mind and your brain to almost trick it into feeling something different or to be positive. And then that sort of morphed naturally into the corporate space for a couple of years where I was doing this work as well in the corporate setting. So like managing employers' energy and resilience and that sort of stuff. And again, the strategies that I was using was all mindset, mindset, mindset and intelligence. And even often today, like when I get asked, you know, on podcasts or things like this, some people are very much interested in my psychology and my biology background and what my credentials and, you know, and I think that we definitely live in a world where logic and being rational is almost put up on a pedestal and it overrides how we feel in our bodies because sometimes when you have an instinctual pull or a primal pull, sometimes it doesn't make sense and it's hard to explain. So, we always sort of naturally want to know that logic or that reasoning behind it. And then, Gail, I became a mum. <laughs> I became a mum. Um, I had two under two and honestly, I was struggling. I really was. And I wanted to experience motherhood differently. I knew that raising kids was the best work that I'll ever do. And I wasn't having the experience that I knew that I wanted or the one that I knew that I could. And my mental health was at rock bottom at that stage of my life. My physical, spiritual, emotional health was just dead. And so it really prompted a bit of a spiritual journey for me, really diving into my own healing because those tools that I had in my tool bag, like the mindset, the intellect, the rational side of things, the logic, even the positive psychology, it wasn't enough for me. I needed to go beyond my mindset and I needed to understand that I'm a whole being, that I have a body, I have a nervous system, I have a heart and I have a soul. And when I started to I think we really hear a lot about mental health and how to care about your mental health. But for me, I'm more than my thoughts. I'm needed to think about more than just mental health, but like my spiritual health and my, you know, my well-being as a whole. So that really prompted me to go into a deep dive of my own healing, Gail. And that's sort of when I met you as well, was sort of when I was through all of that and I'd written my book. So I reached out and I got a life coach that I had that I worked intensely with for six months and, you know, all of those fun stuff like childhood trauma and things like that. And I did a somatic therapy course where I became a somatic therapist and learned about how to use the body to move through emotions and how important it is for the body and how useful for the body. So, I learned all about that and it was just like a penny had dropped because I was like, oh my God, this is what I had been missing because I'm not an idiot. Like I'm a really smart woman. So it was like, why can't I figure this out? Like what is happening? I am smart. I think my default also was to look for a book or to look for a podcast to for help sure. me or to even talk to another mum who was going through the same things. But it was hard to reach out for help when I didn't have the words to explain what was happening. And I just felt really lonely. And all the books and stuff that were out there, it was about pregnancy or labor or what to eat or how to parent. And I'm like, no, 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 but I need to know about the mm. mum, like what's going on in here. Like I'd so like I just felt so like bottled up and like I just wanted to scream. And so 
during that healing, that was sort of when I wrote my book and the process. And I think you really hear that, Gail, when you read the book, Mm. as I know that you have, is Mm. it takes you on a journey like mindset is obviously still so important. The power of our minds and our brain is obviously still so powerful. And I write about that in the book in the first sort of two parts. And then the second part of the book, it starts to go really deep into how to use our body and our instinct and our body's wisdom. And so I'm just really proud of it. And that's sort of the journey. And my journey is now that I see myself as a whole being and tap into not just my mindset and my intellect, but also use my body's wisdom because it holds so much power, as you know, Gail. It does. And I think you've just really hit the nail on the head there. That is the big emotions that come up in parenting. I mean, at any age, but in particular, if you are someone who has lived in a logical brain and then you have children and mindset and all those things are amazing. They are things that help you bounce back when you come into a difficult situation. They are things that help you Mm. reflect on your behavior or someone else's with a level of compassion and stillness. Mm. But sleep deprivation, lack of (laughs) nourishment, you can have all the mindset tools in your toolbox. It doesn't mean shit. Mm. And it's also that whole other element of it that when we look into the thinking things through, the reality is, is that we can have, and I used to say this to my husband when I'd fight with our three-year-old, is it would be, why do I turn into a three-year-old and my son doesn't turn into a 37-year-old? Like, why (laughs) do I go there? Why do I get so immature and so Mm. silly? Mm. And the the real thing is, is that, like you said, mindset and all these tools and intellect and logic, but you're dealing with an irrational person with no logical thoughts. And so that means that the rules of the game change, but our bodies and our hearts can't flick so easily between A and Z. Mm. And that's where it becomes really challenging because every strategy you've ever used as an adult in a workplace situation or a family or even the breakup of a relationship, it's irrelevant because Mm. these little humans don't talk that language. You know, there's so much coming up with the work of our nervous system and I'll often training and teaching, and I'm sure you're the same in your household when big emotions come up, whether they're nerves or whatever else, it's all, you know, shake the body, shake it out of your fingertips or And we're doing a lot of that, but I'm actually starting to come back around again in our household that it's okay to shift you through the emotion to help you recover from it faster. But we're actually going to have to come back to this when you're feeling better because something caused your body to react like that. And so it could be, you know, we know now that when kids use words like I feel sick in my stomach and I feel dizzy or I feel woozy when they've got something that's maybe like the public speaking event, or they're getting the award at school, or maybe they're getting some childhood friendship, you know, misalignment that's all a bit crazy and they're feeling it synamically in their body like we all do. The thing is that I will help them to get through those emotions. I know those big energy movements I can do to help them pass it. But at the end of the day, you still need to come back to a conversation and some tools on why did that create such a flare up in your body? What is it in your self-worth or your self-belief that we react like that when we think we're not capable? And so we think we're stepping out of our comfort zone and we're not safe. And so our body sets off all these alarm bells, which ricochet back to our original thought on ourselves. And the tools of the moving the energy through are so, so important, but it's only one step in the puzzle on building that whole person and that whole wellness. You need to come back to why did my body flare up like that? 
Where am I not feeling capable or seen or heard or comfortable to be myself? And that's the really tricky part because it's got to make it age appropriate, whether they're three or whether they're seven or whether they're 14. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting with your training. So when you say, for example, your kids are having a big, big moment, Mm -hmm. it's a fine line, isn't it, between patience and perseverance? Mm. Oh, my God. And so what do you do for yourself when you've used you know, the tools of negotiation or love or a Mm. hug and you're still just getting rejected, rejected, Mm. rejected over and over again. What do you do then to help Em not like rock in a corner, lose her shit? Well, sometimes you probably will come over and find me (laughs) rocking in the corner, losing my shit. But this is so relevant, this conversation, because I had my four-year-old had swimming lessons this morning and he did not want to go. And so what we did was he was having his meltdown he was throwing he was screaming he was whatever were you at the pool or was he still at home no this is still at home we're not even at the pool yet girl (laughs) (laughs) and god it is hard when you have somewhere to be and you've got something to do but we navigated it where zach took Knox in another car and i just waited it out and it only takes that one extra minute of patience like if I was to force that I reckon one minute after he would have calmed down like sometimes it's just not even worth it but for me and navigating my emotions during the time like god it takes a spiritual ninja to regulate your own emotions when you're trying to regulate a four-year-olds or a three-year-olds like it is literally mums are amazing I was thinking that today I'm like fuck I'm have to do a lot. Like this is a lot. Like this is a lot. I'm feeling it today. So what I have done to help myself is usually I ask myself three questions in the moment if I'm able to do it, Gail. And the first one is what am I feeling in my body? What sensations can I feel in my body right now? And often it is my jaw is clenched. My stomach is in knots. My fists are often clenched and I just Mm. feel tight and like I'm about to burst. And Often just going through and doing a quick body scan is enough for me to give that time enough space to relax. The second thing that I ask myself is what do I know about this part of myself? Like is this a reaction? Often the reaction that I'm having is to do with me rather yeah, than yeah. what he's going through. Like what it's, you know, nothing to do with he's triggering me in something in me. So it gives me a chance to give myself a little bit of self-compassion and to go, you know what, you've been bullied by a four-year-old for the last three days. Of course, you're feeling like this. That is completely normal. And then number three is what can I do to help that part of me? And usually that's later, (laughs) not in the moment. But the biggest tip and the biggest lesson that I have learned for myself is to not be so hard on myself Mm. is to give myself permission to get angry sometimes give myself permission not to say that oh just you know lose your shit and be erratic and it doesn't matter because you can forgive yourself later but just be like I'm allowed to express anger and I'm proud I'm so proud of the way that I've learned to express my anger and frustration in front of my kids. So there has been a time when I've been angry and my kids have seen and then I've fallen on a heap later and just think I'm the worst mom, I'm doing the terrible job, what are my kids going to grow up like, I'm the worst. 
And then that has sort of shifted, probably thinking about it now through, oh, definitely through the somatic therapy stuff that I've learned just in my journey to go, you know what? I want my kids to see how to express anger Mm. in a healthy way. I want them to see me deliberately, purposefully releasing anger in a way that they can see because I'm trying to teach them to do the same. And so the biggest way that we can teach them is to model it ourselves. So for example, my son wants to throw things like he wants to throw metal cars at TVs and windows and everything. And obviously that is not safe and I need to set a boundary around that. His nervous system is like it's a rubber band that's been stretched way back, way too tight. And by asking him to stop or not to express that anger, I'm asking him not to let it go. I want him to let it go, but I want him to do it in a safe way. So I will try and get him to throw a pillow instead, or I will model throwing a pillow. Or if he's trying to hit me, I'll put a pillow in between him and I so that he can still express anger in a healthy way. But if we're bringing it back to me, I have learned like a conscious anger release activity that I come back to when I'm so agitated or I'm losing my cool a little bit more than I would like to. And that's when I actually schedule in time, Gail, to be angry. I schedule it in. And I've only done this maybe three times since I've learned it. So maybe three times in two years, like it's not a lot because I think it's so powerful. And the conscious anger release is where you just schedule a time to be angry. And what you do is you just get a time when like kids are in daycare, whatever, and I've got a moment for myself and I fully feel into my body the anger. Whatever it is, I give myself permission. And this is where it sort of can get a little bit um, that bridging the gap between the mind and the body, Gail, is sometimes our mind goes, oh, I shouldn't be angry about that or like, come on, grow up or, you know, you start to get your adult brain happening and that can stop you from releasing But to just get rid of that logical mind for a minute, get into your body and, you know, hit a pillow yourself, scream into a pillow, whatever it is, and then ride the wave and literally imagine yourself like at the peak, releasing that anger and then let your body just come back into regulation. And then after that, I do something to love myself. Like I have put my dressing gown on or I had a nice Mm. warm cup of tea and really just sort of nurtured myself in the moment. That's what somatic therapy is. It's learning how to release the emotions that get stored in the body. And if we don't release that anger, that anger is energy and it has to go somewhere, Gail. So it's either, it sometimes for me, if I don't release it properly, it comes out in little tiny niggles at my husband usually, like a little remark there or a little comment there or, you know, something that slips out. That's one way it gets released. Another way it gets released is all at once, like bang. I was calm for the last 30 minutes of the meltdown, two minutes left and I've lost it. I've gone like, and it's hard to control. And the third one, Gail, is probably the most toxic is that anger turns inwards and I begin to hate myself for the way that I'm managing this emotion. So to release it in a healthy way, but then to actually give yourself permission because Mm. How much do we see around us that anger is bad? You know, like the media says anger is bad. And and yeah, like rightfully so, people get angry and do it's, silly things. It is. It's what you choose to do when you're angry. Yes. And that's and the deliberately. conscious de- Yes, that's the conscious decision. And so the responsibility for your anger, which is a, a fuse that you're feeling in a moment, has mm. to be your own. So for me, 
I have been really angry. And and I'm a bit like you where I find that my kids recover really quick. So mm. if we've had a massive blow up and, you know, everyone's hugged it out, it's an hour later, they seem to bounce back much better than I do. I still have some wounding from maybe the way I was disrespecting or even just the mm. energy and the overstimulation of the argument. Mm. And so I'm really quick to get back there fast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so for me, it's, you know, and it can be something like my dressing gown pocket getting caught on the cupboard in the kitchen. Can I just say I'm that like, never <laughs> happens when you're in a good mood or that never <laughs> happens when you're having a good day. It's that and stubbing your toe. You yes, never stub your toe, toe on a, on a good day, my, do you? <laughs> getting my finger stuck in a drawer. And then I'm just like, it's like the nail in the coffin. Yeah. So I have done exactly what you're saying where I've grabbed a pillow from the couch and I've just beaten the crap out of the yes. couch with the cushion. And my kids will just be standing back with their mouths open like, yes, what, what is happening? Is going on? Yes. And but how beautiful say, for them to see that. I don't know. They look a bit scarred. <laughs> so I've actually stopped doing that because they all yeah. look a bit like, Bob, like I'm really yeah, quite yeah. Upbeat, But I'm just like, this is bullshit. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm getting really cross. And then I'll take a breath and I go, Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I just had one of those mornings and it's just been bottling up and I needed yeah. to get it out and I don't want to do it to you because you've got nothing to do with it. Yes. And uh, I just needed a moment. And so they've seen me have these pretty <laughs> un, uh, unflattering moments. But now I've switched it to weeding in the garden. Oh, how so lovely. When I'm mad, I can pull the shit your hands kind of busy. weeds out in a yes, small I amount bet. of time. And the same <laughs> even for our... Our um, nearly teenager, when he was about 12 and he was getting really agitated at his younger siblings mm. and he'd get so wild and I could see this like inferno of fury. Actually, I could physically see it intuitively mm. in his body and it was mm. like the shoulders would get hunched and they'd be up near his ears and you'd see his fingers would look claw-like. I said to him, this is a moment, but it needs to come out properly. So mm. I tell him, take this tennis ball and just go bash it mm. against the brick wall, bang it over and over and over again, or get on your bike and pedal mm. until you can't breathe anymore mm. and let it out. Because, mate, getting mad at us in your moment of anger isn't very helpful. And I am totally understand anger. We all get there. We're all going to get there over and over again in life, but it's who you choose to spend it on when you're in mm. that phase. And I always say everything's a moment, mate. It passes, but it's got to have a proper outlet that's healthy. So for him, the tennis ball against the wall, some basketball shots, even just slamming the basketball against mm. a brick wall. For me, it's weeding. Even for my husband, I'll say, go and chop some wood or do something. Because mm. the reality is for the five of us in a house and you're about to turn into a family of five, very rarely is everyone in the same mood, which makes it tough. Often we are, but not very often. You know, you might mm. have everyone in good mood, but some are like loud happy. Some are <laughs> chilled out happy. And even then that happiness is not on the same wavelength. So that anger, the whole conversation about anger and rage and big emotions is a really important one because you have to feel it. Mm. You know, as you said, in the moment, if you're really mad, we don't all have a second, especially if we're sleep deprived, especially if we're nutritiously zapped because we've been eating off a kid's plate instead of feeding ourselves, then it's a really important that we are able to feel in my body and take that second to say. The other thing I wanted to add to your little three points that you made that were excellent earlier is another thing I will say for this is where will this end? Mm -hmm. So that's a big one I say to myself when there's a fight going on or when I'm really angry. 
it's either where will this end or how will this end? And I have the choice on how this can end because I'm the adult in the house. So how will this end? When will this end? Where will it end? And then those three give me a real clear direction on what's worth fighting for, where I'm really at on what has really caused this to be anger. And that's another one reflecting on exactly what you were saying before. And this is one that I've heard all through my parenting experience is the biggest way a parent will lose their patience is if they need to get out of the house because they have an obligation to be somewhere and mm. the kid's just not getting it together or they don't mm. want to go or you know, even in, they're trying to get them changed and they won't stand still and this rage comes up and it's like, well, the kid's actually not doing anything different to yesterday or the day before that, but it's your relationship on what people will think if you turn up late mm. or it might be on things like you know, maybe cancelling something that even if you were committed to it, it's okay. If it's just mm. not the day for the family, it's just not the day. But that pressure we put on ourselves to be really accurate in time, turning up for others, but then actually really knowing that my kid just doesn't actually want to do this mm. or they don't feel safe. So mm. I'm going to have to be a real pain in the bum and be very inconvenient to a lot of people and just say, I'm sorry, folks, we're out, rather than, like you said, pushing and pushing or potentially waiting a few extra minutes to wait for the fuse. If you imagine the anger is like a fuse and it's burning along a piece of rope. So watch that when you watch your child or anyone around you having those big emotions. See it as that fuse. Where is the fuse at? Is it getting hotter? Is it getting brighter? We know that it's going to eventually lose its spark. And having the patience and the compassion to go, I bet if this person could feel any other emotion in the world right now, this would not be the one that they would choose. True. That's a lovely way to think of it. There is so many other things that they would probably rather be doing right now than doing this. Mm. And then if we have a look at when we do the work with our nervous system, can you talk us through how this short, shallow breath that we all get stuck in, Mm. why it is such an oxygen suppressor and why the oxygen in our brain and the breath work and how that gives us clarity? Well, to give a little bit of context, I think the best way to explain how powerful the body is and what it can do is like, I like to use the example of like, say your fuse is going. So you're in the car, the kids are screaming, you've just had a fight with your partner, perhaps you're running late somewhere, you've got no food in the house and you're just feeling completely like zapped and your mindset is like shot. Then all of a sudden your favourite song comes on the radio, like Beyonce comes on, okay? (laughs) And all of a sudden you're like, look, it's so crazy, let's go look and you just all of a sudden move out of your head and into your body and it feels completely different. And then as soon as the song stops, you have a different way of looking at your mindset. But in that moment, what is happening is I didn't have to use my mind or my intellect to change my thoughts. I didn't have to change my mindset to feel different in my body. My body did it naturally just by listening to something different. So we have these bi-directional neurons in our brain that send messages from our brain to our body and from our body to our brain. 20% of them go from our mind to our body. So things like if I want to feel different in my body, if I want to feel relaxed, if I'm feeling stressed and I want to change that, things like meditation Mm. use my mind, things like visualization are using my mind. I'm using my mind to feel something different in my body. Only 20% of neurons go in that direction. The other whopping 80% go from my body to my mind in the other Mm. direction. So things like breath work, things like cold therapy, things like 
certain aspects of yoga where we have to breathe through. Even singing, like you just said. Singing, yes, yes, yes. That actually changes the way that our body feels, which then changes our mindset. So you could put a great song on, feel different in your body, and you will come up with different creative answers in your mindset and all of that. So like one of my tips or one of my tricks that I like to use, if I'm in my head too much, and I'm trying to make a decision, but, you know, I'm thinking too much or I'm trying to use too much of my intellect and there's just no space in there to make a decision, I love to take my dog for a walk because the moment that I use my body to process all of that and get it moving and give my mind space, like I don't have to then try and change my mindset. Like I think I had a really toxic relationship with positive affirmations for a long time because I was just trying to put a positive affirmation over the top of a negative mm, thought Band-Aid. when it's my body. Nothing was wrong with my mind. It was in my body. If I could actually just use that untapped resource of my body's wisdom to help me process that, I take the dog for a walk. I give my mind some space. I don't have to try and do anything or change anything or shift anything. It happens naturally because of the power of my body and the wisdom of my body. So the most powerful ways to do it is through breath work. And what that does is it helps move the emotion through your body. And you'll know that when you take, like, how does it feel to take short, shallow breaths? Like, yeah, how does it feel? You could do struggling. it right now. You feel like you're yeah. struggled. And what we do when we start to take longer breaths is we activate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part that triggers our body to rest and recover. And that's mm-hmm. like the rest and digest system. So, that's so powerful and you can change your breath in the moment right now. Yeah, that's right. You can do it right now. And a question that a lot of, you know, mindful people will ask themselves is, am I still breathing? Because we do it naturally, because we don't have to think about it at all, we don't think about it at all. (laughs) It is a really easy way to go, am I still breathing? It only takes 10 deliberate, long, deep breaths in, or even just being aware of it. How am I breathing right now? How does that's it feel to say. breathe this short? Like That's exactly what I that's say. Enough. Where is yeah. my breath at? I say yeah. that to myself a lot through the day. Even in my tides phases, you know, we often talk about that kind of three o'clock lull, that four mm. o'clock lull, where we might reach for sugar or we might reach for something like that. Or even if I'm feeling like I want a glass of red wine, I will use breath work to counteract those feelings because once I check in on myself and I go back to my breath, a lot of those vices, I don't actually need them. Again, mm. it's like a positive affirmation you don't believe in. They're just a Band-Aid. Yeah. And so for me, I really love the box breathing, and mm-hmm. which is where you, folks, if you don't know this one, you might take a breath in for the count of three, hold it at the top for three, come down and exhale on three, and then hold yourself at empty on three. You can start there and then you can extend it. Some people take the rounds up to four and five second intervals. But if you imagine drawing a square in front of you, that box breath just slows you right down. When I finished about 15 rounds of that, I literally feel like I've had two glasses of red wine. I'm so peaceful. I'm so settled. And like you said, once we give ourselves the space and grace to sit in that beautiful space of big oxygen intake, the best ideas come the best reflection comes. And I find it quietens down those negative thoughts where we might have done something not to the best of our ability through the day. So that breath work will mean that I'm gentler on myself. I'm also more understanding of someone else who I think has been a little turd through the day. (laughs) And it just brings me back because even in Reiki, we talk about when we come back to the breath and we come back to our heart space, 
and we slow right down and we quieten all that external noise, that is exactly who we're meant to be as humans. That's Mm. exactly what we were in our womb space. Pure peace, pure love, slowing down, no external noise. And that's what the beauty of breathwork is. And that's the gift it gives your brain and your heart. Mm. And it's so underrated. And we hear it around now like breathwork, breathwork. But what does it actually mean? Why it actually does it? And the way you've explained that in the intellect is perfect. Because if you're someone who doesn't believe in or doesn't see the value in meditation or anything like that, or you think you just can't do it Mm. because maybe you have an overactive mind, when you actually have a science awareness of it, if you're someone who lives in a really analytical brain, then Emily's description earlier about the way the messages run from the heart to the brain and the brain to the heart is a really good way of you being able to visualize the value in it and be able to slow Mm. down and do it in an intellect. And then slowly, the more you slow your brain down, the more you build your heart space up, the more you won't even get triggered by most of these things in life. Mm. And you'll go through life through that lens of curiosity and witness, even of yourself, rather than critique and judgment. And that's a really beautiful space to live in. And don't get me wrong, things come up all the time. It's a practice. You have to keep coming back to it. Emily, I wanted to share, you're really big on ritual like me. And Mm -hmm. ritual is repeating a behavior that keeps our brain in a safe space and is really nurturing. On your Instagram, which is Emily East Instagram, you do a lot on your nighttime routines. Mm. Now, sleep is another big one I hear from a lot of people that's not very good quality. So tell me about why you found the value in nighttime routines and can you share what yours is for us, please? Oh my God, you're just mentioning my nighttime routine. I'm start drooling. I'm like, is it time for my nighttime routine right now? <laughs> I think you can probably guess like coming from my intellectual background, I want to be productive and I'm super high achiever and I want to be a bit of a go-getter. And we live in no illusion that there's the 5am club and win the morning, win the day and you know, and for a long time, I thought I have to have a morning routine to be successful and to feel the way that I want to feel. But when you don't know what your nighttime looks like, when you're up through the night, it just wasn't that season in my life to have a morning routine. So I made a nighttime routine that feels so good and that ticks so many boxes and is a habit that serves me. So again, talking from a neuroscience point of view, we are humans and we are creatures of habit. So When we're under pressure, when we're challenged, we will default back to our habits. So it's a good question to ask, what are my habits and do I have habits that serve me? And to create a habit, you just make one tiny small promise and you keep it to yourself every single day. And that was what my nighttime routine does. And it turned into what it just began with, Gail, the very first thing. It was just filling up a glass of water and putting it beside my bed. That was the beginning of my nighttime routine. And that rippled, that built, it sounds small, it sounds insignificant, but that built confidence in myself. It built self-discipline. It mm. built a self-love ritual. that Trust, l- big trust. Yes, trust that actually rippled into my nighttime routine now. Now it looks like, you know, I do my to-do list and I do my gratitude list and I plan the next day and I do my manifesting and all of that sort of lovely stuff. And that has just, it's actually really changed my life. And if I'll drop something with you right now, Gail, something that's not available right now, but maybe by the time this podcast goes to air is I've actually created a next level self 90 day self-love journal. That is my curated nighttime routine. (laughs) 
but guide you through it in 90 days. So I have templates and I have a daily planner, a weekly planner and a monthly planner for 90 days. It's like a 90 day program. And in in between like each month, I'll take you through a deep dive self-love activity. So it's not available yet, Gail, but it will be by the time you're listening. So there's a little bit of a drop. If you're sort of listening and you're going, oh, I really want to sort of start with that, then, you know, I've got something for you. So yeah, love my nighttime routine. Love it. Love it's it. So love special, it. isn't it? Yeah. It's so special. I have two routines that I do. The first one in the morning, and I find it's really important that when you want to start a ritual, you attach it to something you're already doing. So then yeah. it gets locked into the muscle memory of an activity that you have. So I have to feed my dog every morning. I just have mm-hmm. to. So my morning routine is I go out on the decking and I feed the dog her two scoops of food. And then I go out into the coolness of the air and I do Ooh. a very quick yoga flow. That sounds so lovely. It's really not long. The only thing touching the ground is my feet, so it's a standing flow. And then I listen to the birds. I have a look at the cloud pattern. I really appreciate the sky and just, again, a real gratitude to be alive. And I give myself some blessings on what I want that day to be. It's Mm. literally like two minutes. Mm. I come back in. So that's simple. That's all I do for the morning. That's a definite every day because I have to feed the dog. Then when I go to bed, whenever I turn everything off, lay down, I do a prayer every night to God and to my ancestors and my guides. I thank them for the opportunity of the day. I also do my three gratitudes of things I'm grateful for. And that might be simple as, you know, I'm so grateful for the electricity in our house that means that I can have a spa, Mm, you know, mm. and or it might be I'm so grateful for my fluffy dressing ground that I wore for half the day or whatever. It can be big, it can be profound, it can be life-changing, but it can be little, it can be something so small, like I'm so grateful for the little hand that fits in my hand so perfectly Mm. and my heart melts. Mm. It can be, I'm so grateful for my husband who allows me the space to create a new business when he's Mm. working his ass off and he's not getting much free time. Mm. So I do believe that on the back of those gratitudes, if they were about someone who you were grateful for, of course, then sharing that with them. So, you know, Mm. then going to say to my husband, I'm so grateful that you are allowing me this space to feel a purpose that I feel so deeply connected to. And I'm so grateful for you. It's so easy for things to not get said in the Mm. busyness of parenting and marriage. Mm -hmm. It's so easy for things not to get said, the great and the not so great. And so I thank you, Emily, for your time today. You are such a beautiful person inside and out. And please, Emily, tell us where we can get your book, Like a Mother. You can get my book, Like a Mother, from Amazon or Booktopia, and you can have a look at my website, which is emilyeast.net, which is where the, my resources are if you would like to have a bit of a look there. Or listeners, like, reach out to me on Instagram, which, as you said, is just emily underscore east. Like, I love connecting with you guys. So, yeah, that's me. Thanks, Emily. <laughs> and what would your takeaway be? What's your takeaway for today's chat? What was oh, something you well, remember? Something I will remember, Gail, I think the importance of gratitude and how important that is to keep your high vibe, I think. And when you're high vibe, you can do anything. So I appreciate that. And I just love seeing you light up. Honestly, I do. Like you are so called to do this and it really shows because of how much you're just flying with what you're doing. So congratulations. Thank you. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Um, I'm loving it. I'm really loving the space and the opportunity and that it's just, you know, I reach out to someone and they say yes. Yeah, and yeah. This, I mean, this is a whole other conversation we'll have, so I'm going to pause it there because yeah. <laughs> I say yes. 
people. Yeah. Just say yes yeah. to life. Just that's my takeaway from the whole thing is yes. saying yes, being kind to yourself, you know, really thinking about your breath. It all comes down to the way we breathe and then the way we can feel and then the way we can think. And it should mm. be feeling then thinking, mm. not the other way around. Mm. It'll totally shake it. So let's change it from have a think on that to have a feel on that. Yes, love it. And then have the bravery to speak your feelings. Mm. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Emily. You have been a delight and I look forward to any future chats. You would love to come on the show. We would love to have you back. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon. I will, you too. <laughs> and that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for letting me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson, and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.